Chapter 8, Part 2 of Sovereignty of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sovereignty of God by Arthur Pink. Chapter 8, Part 2. Should some sinner here object, I cannot help being born into this world with a depraved heart, and therefore I am not responsible for my moral and spiritual inability, which accrue from it. The reply would be, Responsibility and culpability. He, in the indulgence of the depraved propensities, the free indulgence, for God does not force any to sin. Men might pity me, but they certainly would not excuse me if I gave vent to a fiery temper and then sought to extenuate myself on the ground of having inherited that temper from my parents. Their own common sense is sufficient to guide their judgment in such a case as this. They would argue, I was responsible to restrain my temper. Why then cavil against this same principle in the case supposed above? Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant, surely applies here. What would the reader say to a man who had robbed him, and who later argued in defense? I cannot help being a thief, that is my nature. Surely the reply would be, then, the penitentiary is the proper place for that man. What then shall be said to the one who argues that he cannot help following the bent of his sinful heart? Surely that the lake of fire is where such a one must go. Did ever a murderer plead that he hated his victim so much that he could not go near him without slaying him? Would not that only magnify the enormity of his crime? Then what of the one who loves sin so much that he is at enmity against God. The fact of man's responsibility is almost universally acknowledged. It is inherent in man's moral nature. It is not only taught in Scripture, but witnessed to by the natural conscience. The basis or ground of human responsibility is human ability. What is implied by this general term ability must now be defined. Perhaps a concrete example will be more easily grasped by the average reader than an abstract argument. Suppose a man owed me one hundred dollars and could find plenty of money for his own pleasures, but none for me, yet pleaded that he was unable to pay me. What would I say? I would say that the only ability that was lacking was an honest heart. But would it not be an unfair construction of my words if a friend of my dishonest debtor should say I had stated that an honest heart was that which constituted the ability to pay the debt? No. I would reply, the ability of my debtor lies in the power of his hand to write me a check, and this he has. But what is lacking is an honest principle. It is his power to write me a check, which makes him responsible to do so. And the fact that he lacks an honest heart does not destroy his accountability. Now, 
in like manner the sinner while altogether lacking in moral and spiritual ability does nevertheless possess natural ability and this it is which renders him accountable unto god men have these same natural faculties to love god with as they have to hate him with these same hearts to believe with as to disbelieve and it is their failure to love and believe which constitutes their guilt an idiot or an infant is not personally responsible to god because lacking in natural ability but the normal man who is endowed with rationality who is gifted with a conscience that is capable of distinguishing between right and wrong who is able to weigh eternal issues is a responsible being and it is because he does possess these very faculties that he will yet have to give an account of himself to god romans fourteen twelve we say again that the above distinction between the natural ability and the moral and spiritual inability of the sinner is of prime importance by nature he possesses natural ability but lacks moral and spiritual ability the fact that he does not possess the latter does not destroy his responsibility because his responsibility rests upon the fact that he does possess the former let me illustrate again here are two men guilty of theft the first is an idiot the second perfectly sane but the offspring of criminal parents no just judge would sentence the former but every right-minded judge would the latter even though the second of these thieves possessed a vitiated moral nature inherited from criminal parents that would not excuse him providing he was a normal rational being here then is the ground of human accountability the possession of rationality plus the gift of conscience it is because the sinner is endowed with these natural faculties that he is a responsible creature because he does not use his natural powers for god's glory constitutes his guilt how can it remain consistent with his mercy that god should require the debt of obedience from him that is not able to pay in addition to what has been said above it should be pointed out that god has not lost his right even though man has lost his power the creature's impotence does not cancel his obligation a drunken servant is a servant still and it is contrary to all sound reasoning to argue that his master loses his rights through his servant's default moreover it is of first importance that we should ever bear in mind that god contracted with us in adam who was our federal head and representative and in him god gave us a power which we lost through our first parents fall but though our power is gone nevertheless god may justly demand his due of obedience and of service we turn now to ponder three how is it possible for god to decree that men should commit certain sins hold them responsible in the committal of them 
and adjudge them guilty because they committed them let us now consider the extreme case of judas we hold that it is clear from scripture that god decreed from all eternity that judas should betray the lord jesus if anyone should challenge this statement we refer him to the prophecy of zechariah through whom god declared that his son should be sold for thirty pieces of silver zechariah eleven twelve as we have said in earlier pages in prophecy god makes known what will be and in making known what will be he is but revealing to us what he has ordained shall be that judas was the one through whom the prophecy of zechariah was fulfilled needs not to be argued but now the question we have to face is was judas a responsible agent in fulfilling this decree of god we reply that he was responsibility attaches mainly to the motive and intention of the one committing the act this is recognized on every hand human law distinguishes between a blow inflicted by accident without evil design and a blow delivered with malice aforethought apply then this same principle to the case of judas what was the design of his heart when he bargained with the priests manifestly he had no conscious desire to fulfill any decree of god though unknown to himself he was actually doing so on the contrary his intention was evil only and therefore though god had decreed and directed his act nevertheless his own evil intention rendered him justly guilty as he afterwards acknowledged himself i have betrayed innocent blood it was the same with the crucifixion of christ scripture plainly declares that he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of god acts two twenty three and that though the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the lord and against his christ yet notwithstanding it was but for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done acts four twenty six and twenty eight which verses teach very much more than a bare permission by god declaring as they do that the crucifixion and all its details had been decreed by god yet nevertheless it was by wicked hands not merely human hands that our lord was crucified and slain acts two twenty three wicked because the intention of his crucifiers was only evil but it might be objected that if god decreed that judas should betray christ and that the jews and gentiles should crucify him they could not do otherwise and therefore they were not responsible for their intentions the answer is god had decreed that they should perform the acts they did but in the actual perpetration of these deeds they were justly guilty because their own purposes in doing of them was evil only 
let it be emphatically said that god does not produce the sinful dispositions of any of his creatures though he does restrain and direct them to the accomplishing of his own purposes hence he is neither the author nor the approver of sin this distinction was expressed thus by augustine that men's sin proceeds from them that in sinning they perform this or that action is from the power of god who divineth the darkness according to his pleasure thus it is written a man's heart deviseth his way but the lord directeth his steps proverbs sixteen nine what we would here insist upon is that god's decrees are not the necessitating cause of the sins of men but the foredetermined and prescribed boundings and directings of men's sinful acts in connection with the betrayal of christ god did not decree that he should be sold by one of his creatures and then take up a good man instill an evil desire into his heart and thus force him to perform the terrible deed in order to execute his decree no not so do these scriptures represent it instead god decreed the act and selected the one who was to perform the act but he did not make him evil in order that he should perform the deed on the contrary the betrayer was a devil at the same time the lord jesus chose him as one of the twelve john six seventy and in the exercise and manifestation of his own deviltry god simply directed his actions actions which were perfectly agreeable to his own vile heart and performed with the most wicked intentions thus it was with the crucifixion four how can the sinner be held responsible to receive christ and be damned for rejecting him when god foreordained him to condemnation really this question has been covered in what has been said under the other queries but for the benefit of those who are exercised upon this point we give it a separate though brief examination in considering the above difficulty the following points should be carefully weighed in the first place no sinner while he is in this world knows for certain nor can he know that he is a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction this belongs to the hidden counsels of god to which he has not access god's secret will is no business of his god's revealed will in the word is the standard of human responsibility and god's revealed will is plain each sinner is among those whom god now commandeth to repent acts seventeen thirty each sinner who hears the gospel is commanded to believe first john three twenty three and all who do truly repent and believe are saved therefore is every sinner responsible to repent and believe in the second place it is the duty of every sinner to search the scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation 
second timothy three fifteen it is the sinner's duty because the son of god has commanded him to search the scriptures john five thirty nine if he searches them with a heart that is seeking after god then does he put himself in the way where god is accustomed to meet with sinners upon this point the puritan manton has written very helpfully i cannot say to every one that ploweth infallibly that he shall have a good crop but this i can say to him it is god's use to bless the diligent and provident i cannot say to every one that desireth posterity marry and you shall have children i cannot say infallibly to him that goeth forth to battle for his country's good that he shall have victory and success but i can say as joab first chronicles nineteen thirteen be of good courage and let us behave ourselves valiantly for our people and the cities of our god and let the lord do that which is good in his sight i cannot say infallibly you shall have grace but i can say to every one let him use the means and leave the success of his labor and his own salvation to the will and good pleasure of god i cannot say this infallibly for there is no obligation upon god and still this work is made the fruit of god's will and mere arbitrary dispensation of his own will begat he us by the word of truth james one eighteen let us do what god hath commanded and let god do what he will and i need not say so for the whole world in all their actings are and should be guided by this principle let us do our duty and refer the success to god whose ordinary practice is to meet with the creature that seeketh after him yea he is with us already this earnest importunity in the use of means proceeding from the earnest impression of his grace and therefore since he is beforehand with us and hath not showed any backwardness to our good we have no reason to despair of his goodness and mercy but rather to hope for the best volume twenty one page three twelve god has been pleased to give men the holy scriptures which testify of the saviour and make known the way of salvation every sinner has the same natural faculties for the reading of the bible as he has for the reading of the newspaper and if he is illiterate or blind so that he is unable to read he has the same mouth with which to ask a friend to read the bible to him as he has to inquire concerning other matters if then god has given to men his word and in that word has made known the way of salvation and if men are commanded to search those scriptures which are able to make them wise unto salvation and they refuse to do so then it is plain that they are justly censurable that their blood lies on their own heads and that god can righteously cast them into the lake of fire in the third place should it be objected 
admitting all you have said above is it not still a fact that each of the non-elect is unable to repent and believe the reply is yes of every sinner it is a fact that of himself he cannot come to christ and from god's side the cannot is absolute but we are now dealing with the responsibility of the sinner the sinner foreordained to condemnation though he knows it not and from the human side the inability of the sinner is a moral one as previously pointed out moreover it needs to be borne in mind that in addition to the moral inability of the sinner there is a voluntary inability too the sinner must be regarded not only as impotent to do good but as delighting in evil from the human side then the cannot is a will not it is a voluntary impotence man's impotence lies in his obstinacy hence is everyone left without excuse and hence is god clear when he judgeth psalm fifty one four and righteous in damning all who love darkness rather than light that god does require what is beyond our own power to render is clear from many scriptures god gave the law to israel at sinai and demanded a full compliance with it and solemnly pointed out what would be the consequences of their disobedience see deuteronomy twenty eight but will any readers be so foolish as to affirm that israel were capable of fully obeying the law if they do we would refer them to romans eight three where we are expressly told for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh god sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh come now to the new testament take such passages as matthew five forty eight be ye therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect first corinthians fifteen thirty four awake to righteousness and sin not first john two one my little children these things write i unto you that ye sin not will any reader say he is capable in himself of complying with these demands of god if so it is useless for us to argue with him but now the question arises why has god demanded of man that which he is incapable of performing the first answer is because god refuses to lower his standard to the level of our sinful infirmities being perfect god must set a perfect standard before us still we must ask if man is incapable of measuring up to god's standard wherein lies his responsibility difficult as it seems the problem is nevertheless capable of simple and satisfactory solution man is responsible to first acknowledge before god his inability and second to cry unto him for enabling grace 
surely this will be admitted by every christian reader it is my bounden duty to own before god my ignorance my weakness my sinfulness my impotence to comply with his holy and just requirements it is also my bounden duty as well as blessed privilege to earnestly beseech god to give me the wisdom strength grace which will enable me to do that which is pleasing in his sight to ask him to work in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure philippians two thirteen in like manner the sinner every sinner is responsible to call upon the lord of himself he can neither repent nor believe he can neither come to christ nor turn from his sins god tells him so and his first duty is to set to his seal that god is true his second duty is to cry unto god for his enabling power to ask god in mercy to overcome his enmity and draw him to christ to bestow upon him the gifts of repentance and faith if he will do so sincerely from the heart then most surely god will respond to his appeal for it is written for whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved romans ten thirteen suppose i had slipped on the icy pavement late at night and had broken my hip i am unable to arise if i remain on the ground i must freeze to death what then ought i to do if i am determined to perish i shall he there silent but i shall be to blame for such a course if i am anxious to be rescued i shall lift up my voice and cry for help so the sinner though unable of himself to rise and take the first step toward christ is responsible to cry out to god and if he does from the heart there is a deliverer to hand god is not far from every one of us acts seventeen twenty seven yea he is a very present help in trouble psalm forty six one but if the sinner refuses to cry unto the lord if he is determined to perish then his blood is on his own head and his damnation is just romans three eight a brief word now concerning the extent of human responsibility it is obvious that the measure of human responsibility varies in different cases and is greater or less with particular individuals the standard of measurement was given in the saviour's words for unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required luke twelve forty eight surely god did not require as much from those living in old testament times as he does from those who have been born during the christian dispensation surely god will not require as much from those who lived during the dark ages when the scriptures were accessible to but a few as he will from those of this generation when practically every family in the land owns a copy of his word for themselves in the same way god will not demand from the heathen what he will from those in christendom the heathen 
will not perish because they have not believed in Christ, but because they failed to live up to the light which they did have, the testimony of God in nature and conscience. To sum up, the fact of man's responsibility rests upon his natural ability, is witnessed to by conscience, and is inspired on throughout the scriptures. The ground of man's responsibility is that he is a rational creature, capable of weighing eternal issues, and that he possesses a written revelation from God in which his relationship with and duty toward his Creator is plainly defined. The measure of responsibility varies in different individuals, being determined by the degree of light each has enjoyed from God. The problem of human responsibility receives at least a partial solution in the Holy Scriptures, and it is our solemn obligation, as well as privilege, to search them prayerfully and carefully for further light, looking to the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. It is written, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Psalm 25.9 In conclusion, it remains to point out that it is the responsibility of every man to use the means which God has placed to his hand. An attitude of fatalistic inertia, because I know that God has irrevocably decreed whatsoever comes to pass, is to make a sinful and hurtful use of what God has revealed for the comfort of my heart. The same God who has decreed that a certain end shall be accomplished has also decreed that that end shall be attained through and as the result of his own appointed means. God does not disdain the use of means, nor must I. For example, God has decreed that while the earth remaineth, Seed time and harvest shall not cease. Genesis 8.22 But that does not mean God's plowing of the ground and sowing of the seed are needless. No, God moves men to do those very things, blesses their labors, and so fulfills his own ordination. In like manner, God has, from the beginning, chosen a people unto salvation. But that does not mean there is no need for evangelists to preach the gospel or for sinners to believe it. It is by such means that his eternal counsels are effectuated. To argue that because God has irrevocably determined the eternal destiny of every man, relieves us of all responsibility for any concern about our souls or any diligent use of the means to salvation, would be on par with refusing to perform my temporal duties because God has fixed my earthly lot. And that he has is clear from Acts 17.26 and Job 7.1 and 14.15, etc. If, then, the foreordination of God may consist with the respective activities of man in present concerns, why not in the future? What God has joined together, we must not cut asunder. Whether we can or cannot see the link, 
which unites the one to the other our duty is plain the secret things belong unto the lord our god but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children for ever that we may do all the words of this law deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine in acts twenty seven twenty two god made known that he had ordained the temporal preservation of all who accompanied paul in the ship yet the apostle did not hesitate to say except these abide in the ship he cannot be saved verse thirty one god appointed that means for execution of what he has decreed from second kings twenty we learn that god was absolutely resolved to add fifteen years to hezekiah's life yet he must take a lump of figs and lay it on his boil paul knew that he was eternally secure in the hand of christ john ten twenty eight yet he kept under his body first corinthians nine twenty seven the apostle john assured those to whom he wrote ye shall abide in him yet in the very next verse he exhorted them and now little children abide in him first john two twenty seven and twenty eight it is only by taking heed to this vital principle that we are responsible to use the means of god's appointing that we shall be enabled to preserve the balance of truth and be saved from a paralyzing fatalism. End of chapter 8, part 2